This is The Guardian. Hi Football Weekly fans, it's Max here. Uh, just to say, obviously we finished recording before Tottenham accepted uh, that 100 million euro bid for Harry Kane or whatever it was. Uh, so in our Spurs prediction, we do discuss whether he stays or goes and the implications and my prediction now looks even more foolish but he hasn't gone yet but then obviously by the time you listen to this bit he might have gone in which case I might have done another voice note before this voice note anyway enjoy the pod hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly and after the huge success of the Premier League preview A through F We'll skip G, H, I, J and K and go straight from L to Z, brackets W, you know what I mean. Liverpool, what's their midfield? Something, something, the space in behind Trent Alexander-Arnold. Can Luton's fairy tale last more than a year? Can someone, brackets please, stop Manchester City? Could it be Manchester United? Newcastle should be stronger, but what will Europe do to them? Forest have been quieter, while Sheffield United don't appear to have prepared well, brackets at all. Spurs, how long until my wild Ange enthusiasm is dashed? West Ham appear to be spending their rice money and Wolves have changed their manager already. All that, plus your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Barry Glendenning, hello. Hello Max. Hello Mark Langdon from the Racing Post. Hi Max. Hello Jonathan Wilson. Morning, how are you doing? Uh, Andrew says, will Barry remember to include Southampton this year only to forget that they were relegated? Um, uh, David says, how surprised are you that previewing the first half of the Premier League alphabetically only took you to F? I was quite staggered. And then, obviously, there's a huge jump to L with, I mean, Gillingham have got a lot of work to do. Huddersfield could get back up there. I guess there's probably someone good that I've forgotten. But let's start with Liverpool then. Uh, Last season, fifth, uh, they brought in uh, Dominic Schoberslai from Leipzig and Alexis McAllister. Um, they've lost Fabinho and Jordan Henderson uh, to the Saudi league. Naby Keita's gone. James Milner's gone. Alex oxlade Chamberlain has gone. James says, Barry correctly called Liverpool missing out on the top four last season, despite disbelief from all those listening. Who's his big call for missing out on Champions League qualification this time? Um, it's probably your greatest hour on Football <laughs> Weekly, Barry, isn't it? Yeah, the only thing I'm sad about is that I, I bottled it in my actual league table prediction. And that was kind of my outlandish prediction. But I did think they would finish outside the top four. And it seemed ridiculous when I had it down on paper. But then a lot of my predictions this season seem ridiculous on paper. But I I think I can back most of them up. There's kind of a splurge around the middle where you could just throw them up in the air. And and I'm very proud of the fact that Totally unintentionally, I had the four B teams in 9th, 10th, 11th and 12th. Brighton, Brentford, Bournemouth, Burnley. Mark, Liverpool, is their midfield the big... That's the big question, right? It, yeah, absolutely is. I mean, Jurgen Klopp said over the summer, didn't he, that everybody was telling him he needed to change the midfield in the summer. He's changed the midfield and everybody says he's changed it too much. So, um, yeah, I, I think that they have obviously lost a lot of experience and know-how and all of those kind of things in the midfield. I'm not sure how much that actually impacts on their best 11. Um, and I think that the two signings, particularly McAllister, um, you know, I, I thought he was outstanding for Brighton and also, um, you know, played very well for Argentina. Uh, Saboshlai feels like somebody you can just plug into a, a clock system and he'll, he'll be ready to go. They probably need one more. I, I, I do like, you know, a lot of the younger players and somebody like Curtis Jones, had a really strong um, European Championship for 
um, England. And had he been playing for, say, Borussia Dortmund, a lot of Liverpool fans would have been demanding the signing of, of Curtis Jones. And, you know, it, they've already got him and maybe don't appreciate what he can um, offer them. But I still think that they need one or two um, more players in that midfield because um, it, it does look thin. But I'm over, overall quite positive about the changes that Liverpool have made. I sort of think you look at that midfield and they've they've got five good midfielders, and the problem is the, the eldest of them is is 24, and you, you think is that is that too young? I mean, I think in an ideal world they probably wouldn't have lost Henderson this year, but you know, once that offer comes in, once Henderson's decided he's going to take the money, it's, it's impossible to keep him. So it looks like a midfield that might be at its peak in two, three, four years' time. That said. Klopp has done very well with their young teams before, with their young players before. My my, my worries, I guess, are twofold. So one is Soboslai absolutely looks like a player who should just fit into a Klopp side. But I think we thought that of Naby Keita as well, coming from you know, the Red Bull background. It's maybe not quite as easy as it appears, although I do think Soboslai is immensely talented. And then the, the other issue is it's sort of it, it feeds into the sort of background of discontent at Liverpool, that they've had three sporting directors in the last 18 months, they shouldn't be losing data boffins every week. I don't know what the lifespan of a data boffin is. <laughs> Presumably, are really like the best data boffins. They're constantly like software upgrades, and you keep, you press cancel so many times, eventually they just explode <laughs> yeah. in front of you. So it may be that they do just stay in jobs for two or three years. But the, the the fact there has been this exodus over the last couple of years, you do worry slightly. Is power being too centralised in the figure of Klopp, and is that the beginning? of his his journey into uh, late period Vengadom, where he sort of becomes unchallengeable and, and therefore his ideas sort of stagnate. And and then is that what's leading him to sign all these young players and, and, and not temper that with experience? So th- that would be my concern. But I, I think that midfield looks does look a lot more exciting than last season. Barry, we are contractually obliged to have some conversation about Trent Alexander-Arnold. Would you like to have it? Oh, not really. Um, I I see he did play in midfield in some of their preseason friendlies, and it's a good option for them to have if required, I suppose. But I can't see him playing in midfield unless you know it's it's called for because of injuries to someone else. I still think he's a fine player. He is obviously a little bit of a defensive liability, but. I, I expect them to cope pretty well. My I think my concern for Liverpool and it's it's a pretty minor one in that in losing Henderson, Milner and Firmino, that you know, they're three senior players, sort of leadership there's a lot of leadership going and, and I they strike me as the kind of blokes who are just great to have around the place, great for team morale, good you know, if if young players want to talk to someone or looking for advice, they they are no longer there. But I'm sure you know the likes of Virgil Van Dijk's already there, Andy Robertson. So that that's a, a minor thing. I I think they will do better than last year. I I and yeah, the, the signings look astute. And Mark made an interesting point about Curtis Jones actually saying that. If Liverpool fans, if he wasn't already there, Liverpool fans would clamour to sign him. But I, I don't think Liverpool fans underrate him. I, I think maybe people outside of the, the Liverpool bubble underrate him. I think I certainly used to, but not so much anymore. Where do you have them finishing, Barry? I have them third. Mark? 
Yeah, I keep flip-flopping between them and Arsenal. I've got them, got them third at the moment as well now. Uh, I'm fourth, Wilson. I also have them third. Okay. Uh, Luton Town then. Um, uh, they can third in the championship, one in the playoffs. And uh, they brought in a, a few players that I don't know a whole lot about. Uh, Ryan Giles from Wolves. Uh, Taith Chong from Birmingham. Mads Anderson from Barnsley. Marvellous Nakamba's in from Villa. Thomas Kaminsky from Blackburn. Uh, Tony says, can someone make a case for Luton surviving, please? Lars has the faith. Yesterday, he didn't include them in his bottom three. Is is Lars too romantic, Wilson? I mean, I've seen him on nights out. I'd say no. Um, <laughs> look, they, they can survive, absolutely. They, I mean, they they were um, definitely one of the three best sides in the championship last season. You know, I think the, the, the three best sides in the championship went up, which isn't always the case. I mean, I, I think the you know a lot's going to be made of the of the ground, and that obviously is a different challenge for away sides. Their, their slight problem is they they lose some of that advantage by not playing a home game until September. Um, so they, they've got away games at Brighton and Chelsea to start with. Uh, the Burnley home games had to be postponed because Burnley wouldn't switch the fixtures, which is, I, I think, totally reasonable for Burnley to do that. They don't want their fixture list you know, messed up and unbalanced because Luton are redeveloping their ground. Uh, but what it means is, you know, I think often newly promoted teams, particularly teams who haven't been in the top flight for, for a long time, the first home game, first two or three home games, they get this extra boost because you know it's like a big cup tie. Everybody's massively up for it. You, I mean, remember the Brentford game against Arsenal the season before last? Um, and you know, as it turned, turned out, Brentford could back that up. But we, we, we've seen that phenomenon before. The first one or two home games of a newly promoted team, it is really hard for the away side. The danger is they slightly lose that by not having the first home game till they've already played twice. And they could pay, play perfectly well at Brighton and Chelsea and, and lose both games. So does that start them on a on the wrong foot? So they, 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 they've got that concern. But Rob Edwards is a very good coach. They, look, they're not going to be top half. I think they're going to struggle, but they can. Yeah, they can survive. Actually, they've got you know a lot's been made, Mark, and I think rightly so of the style of football they play and those two centre forwards who will. They will make you know they'll make life unpleasant for the cultured centre backs of the Premier League. Yeah, they they will, um, and they're, I think that you know they, they shouldn't hide away from from um, being physical and direct and making life uncomfortable for teams that have got bigger budgets that might not be used to um, sort of playing against that type of football. Because most teams now in the Premier League. Um, play fairly similar. I mean, there are, there are different variants within it, but, um, you know, you would, I mean, Brentford, for instance, are not afraid to get the ball in the box and it causes problems when, when they do it. And I think in somebody like Giles that, um, that, that Luton have bought, I mean, he is, um, like a, a crossing machine. Um, you know, puts a lot, if you look at the, the stats from the championship last season, just deliveries into the box. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think that Luton, Will surprise a few. I don't think they're going to be as bad as um, you know, as some people are suggesting. Um, I still think it will be a struggle to to get to thirty points. But you know, just with the budget that they've got, um, it looks to me like they're already got one sort of eye maybe on being a very good championship team next season with the signings they've got. And you know, if some of the other teams mismanage themselves, you know, you're already looking at somebody like Wolves. Then um, you know that, that that's probably where their the best chance comes from. Sheffield United are um, losing some of their best players as well. So um, sometimes you know it can be about what other teams do um, a, a, as well. And so I think I think Luton are 
going about it very sensibly. Um, yeah, and I, I, I can see them being awkward opponents for, for much of the season. Interesting point that Wilson makes, Barry, about the, the ground. Because I think a lot of Luton fans found it, find it patronising. But I love how, brackets, shit it is. You know, and that comes from a, a fan of a team whose ground is shitter than, than, than that. You know, I, like, it's great to see that in the Premier League. Yeah. Um, I've only been to Kenilworth Road once when they were, they were a non-league side at the time. And I remember being astonished to see that Dimitri Karin was their goalkeeping coach. And... Let's not beat around the bush. Kenilworth Road is a dump. It is an absolute tip. and But it's their tip and they love it. And obviously improvements are having to be made for their um, foray into the Premier League. But there is no question that visiting teams won't want to play there. It's, it's a horrible place to play. Uh, and the crowd are right up on the pitch. And I think that will earn them quite a few points because there will be teams there that just won't fancy it at all. Uh, it sounds like cliché nonsense, but it's it's true. It's hard to make a case for them staying up. Is it conceivable there will be three teams worse than them? Yeah, absolutely. They have some decent players. Most of their signings look like sort of championship signings. But it's a really well-run club uh, with a good coach, and I, I really hope they stay up. Yeah, me too, but I have them bottom. Wilson? 19th. Mark? 19. Barry. 17th. I'm keeping them up. Whoa. Wow, well done. Man City then. Uh, they won the treble last year. They brought in Guardiol and Kovacic. Mahrez has gone. Gundogan's gone. Uh, Mark, is this the fourth consecutive Premier League title? Probably. Um, you know, if you have a look at sort of City over the last six years, they've averaged 91 points. Um, so if that's the kind of figure that they're going to get to again, I see no reason why they won't sort of reach around about that. You know, who in the chasing pack is capable of going beyond 90. We saw sort of Klopp's best Liverpool team do it. Um, it's probably not his he strongest side now. I mean, Arsenal potentially, if you know, if the improvements to come from, from their younger players, but would need to prove it. Uh, you know, I, I don't think Manchester United have got it in them to get to, to 90 points. So, um, you're sitting very um, strong favourites, in, in my opinion. The, the squad, the, it, sorry, in the Community Shield, their squad has got about sort of 15 players that are absolute, you know, sort of top talents. And there are a couple of players there that you, you maybe look and think, well, it's not the deepest squad. Um, and, and having lost Mares and, and Gundogan there, there are sort of valuable goals to be replaced. Kovacic, a very good player in midfield, but he's don't see him scoring the goals and sort of the importance of goals that Gundogan would often come up with. Um, but then you look at kind of the way that the team evolved with kind of Stones moving into the midfield position, Garvidal coming in defensively. They looked so physical now that the kind of early pet teams, you maybe felt like you could get an advantage against them by slinging in set pieces. But the, the team seems to be much stronger and taller now as well as sort of maintaining that quality. Interested to see how Phil Foden gets on because it feels like a, a big season for him potentially because although he won the treble last season, he didn't have an impact on enough games and didn't really sort of play enough for, for somebody of his talent. And then you just sort of look at, you know, even if Haaland's out, they can just bring in Alvarez. And, um, you know, I, I just don't see anybody else having that kind of talent to stop City. Can you make a case, Wilson? Not really. Uh, I mean, the, the only thing you, you, you do wonder, and, and you know, Mark alluded to it, that uh, occasionally when games got sort of 
bogged down, clogged up for them last season. They needed somebody to break that game open. And the two players who, who often did it were Mares and Gundogan, and, and they're not there anymore. So maybe they lack that, that little bit of um, extra imagination, that, that, that extra bit of unpredictability. And maybe the squad is slightly thinner than, than they'd like, but it's still by far the best squad in the Premier League. So I, I fully expect them to win their fourth on the road to their, their sixth and seven years. Are you surprised, Barry, that Pep's still there? I sort of wondered he might win the treble and go out on a high. Yeah, it crossed my mind, but uh, he's obviously happy to remain a boffin, um, or a stats boffin, or a data boffin, sorry. At the beginning, middle or end of his uh, life cycle, his or her life cycle would, would balk of what I'm about to say. But I, I'm going purely on, on feels. They've won three Premier League titles in a row. They've just won the treble. And I wonder if perhaps the hunger for for another title will be as ravenous as as it might be. And that if everyone drops a few sort of percentage points in terms of effort, that might be their undoing. Because we know how good they can be, but will they be that good this season? No team has ever won four league titles in a row, ever, in the history of English football. Uh, the only teams to have won three are Huddersfield, Arsenal, Liverpool, City and Manchester United twice. So it's, yeah, I I can see them not winning the league. Yeah, I suppose I, I wonder if that stat is the sort of motivation that Pep would use to say this is now we are making history, you know, if, if you win four in a row. And I, I wonder, Mark, actually, is they could drop a bit. And we sort of alluded to this yesterday, but because there are now sort of eight teams below them that can all take points off each other, you feel relatively frequently that actually they won't need as many points this year to win the league. Yeah, I think you, you, it feels like the, there is a, a good depth to the Premier League, um, sort of nine teams that will, um, you know, fancy their chances. I think of kind of beating each each other. I mean, what you would what I would say though about City is that if you have a look at last season, um, it was. A, a, such a strange year um you know the champions league just being played back to back to back to fit in the world cup and all of the other kind of premier league participants in the champions league struggled for a variety of reasons but i definitely think that playing the champions league every week was was one of those behind liverpool chelsea and sort of tottenham not living up to their pre-season kind of expectations and city for the first half of the season um, felt like they were in second or third gear or I don't know if Pep Guardiola was sort of um, trying too much to change the team or whether he was holding something back. But once they got kind of into a normal pattern of fixtures in the, the second half of the campaign, um, they just uh, ran away with it, really. And it was it was easing down that they, they you know, they gave Arsenal that big start and were easing down at the finish. So, um, you know, I. I I just think that they're, they're too good and I'm not sure that it really mattered. The, the motivation was something I looked into um, because when Manchester United won the treble, I thought, oh, I wonder what happened the next year and they, they absolutely dotted up. So, I, you know, I, I think that probably uh, be the same again. Now, they won it like Steve Cram last year and this year it, maybe they'll win it like Liz McColgan. Sorry, Wilson. Well, I think the point about the hunger, I was really struck during the Community Shield by just how much Guardiola celebrated the, the City goal. And you sort of think, well, is that because it's Cole Palmer? Is that because it's a young player? Is it because, I, I, you know, he's he's made it a, 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 a change, and, and and that's what's worked. And that's, and I, and I don't know the answer to this, but I I wonder if he'd sort of 
set himself and the team the goal of winning everything this season, winning the five things they're in. Well, they've already failed the first one, but but maybe that is the extra motivation that they could be the first team to do the quadruple. We'll find out. Um, I have them top, Wilson. Yep, top. Mark? Yeah, first. Barry? Second. There we go. Uh, right, that'll do for part one. Part two will begin with Manchester United. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. We're going on tour, Barry, aren't we, in November? Yes, we are. Are you looking forward to it? Uh, I am, yeah. yeah. Always nice uh, to, to get out and meet the people, Matt. Meet the people. And we're meeting the people in London at the Troxy, uh, in the trendy East End on the 13th of November. Um, on the 14th, we're in Bristol, 15th in Manchester, 20th and 21st in Dublin, and the 22nd in Brighton. Please go to theguardian.com slash fwtour23. Um, and I must remember to ask Wilson and Langdon about something to film, which is slightly odd, which we might need for the live show, but hopefully you'll be up for it. Um, Manchester United, uh, third last year, they brought in Rasmus Hoyland from Atalanta, uh, Mason Mount, Andre Anana, uh, Johnny Evans is uh, popped up as well, which is nice. Alanga's gone, Alex Telles, David De Gea and Phil Jones. Um, Maguire looks like he's on his way out. McTominay might go as well. Um, are, they, are they better than they were, Barry? I don't know. I've, I found this Manchester United and, and Newcastle, who were doing next, among the most difficult of the teams to, to figure out how they're going to do. They both, uh, well, we'll go with Manchester United, obviously, first. I, I think the signings they've made are very astute. I do think they're possibly going to be a little light up front. Much will depend on Marcus Rashford and how he goes this season, and and we know how up and down his form can be. He had a great season last season, while still, if I remember correctly, having a bit of a barren spell in the middle of it. Um, I I don't think they'll finish in the top four or, or come close to challenging for the title. Andre Nana is a massive upgrade on David De Gea, I think, who was a great servant for the club. But now Eric Ten Hag has the kind of goalkeeper that you want in an Eric Ten Hag team. And he will be, I would imagine, prone to the odd comical Rick, but he, he, I'd say he will prove an excellent signing. Uh, Rasmus Hoyland is completely unproven. And Manchester United's recent history of you know, expensive signings. Quite a few of them haven't worked out particularly well and he may well be very good, but uh, I'm, I'm not expecting huge amounts from him in his first season in the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, they came third last season with all kinds of problems. It was even the moment in January when you sort of thought, are they actually in the title race? I think they were a point or two behind City and then they conceded that late equaliser with Palace, conceded the, the, the late winner to Arsenal the, 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 the following game. And those three points, suddenly there was a gap and, and you know, th- that, that little glimmer of a thought they might be involved disappeared. So they, they were that good with a keeper who was totally ill-suited to their system. Anana you know, is, is a keeper who's really, really good at playing out from the back. You know, he, he walked out of the Cameroon squad at the World Cup because he was being told to kick it long and had a huge row with a song. He's played for Ten Hag before. So that should make everything better. I think Mason Mount is a is a... Big upgrade in midfield. He gives them more energy there. His his tactical brain is praised by every coach. And, and that's what you need in a Ten Hag side. 
I think they're still short of a right back. I, I still think they're short of a unless Hoyland suddenly you know, blossoms. I think I think they're still short of a really top class, experienced centre forward. But I think they will be better than last season. So I, you know, I think Ten Hag's been really impressive in moving from a very very unpromising position, slowly winnowing out the chaff, getting rid of Ronaldo last season. Was there a problem with Ronaldo? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if um, I don't know if I ever mentioned this, but I, I did have concerns. Oh God! He, he he maybe didn't press as much as he could have done. This is my fault. <laughs> um, but yeah, but, yeah, p- people like Harry Maguire, Scott McTominay, obviously not a problem in the to the same magnitude. But they're expensive players, or you know, players who've been there for a long time, who who maybe aren't quite at the required level. And and I think Ted Hogg's the reshaping of a squad. I, I'd say is is proceeding at the. Yeah, you know, at, at the at the quickest pace that you could conceivably do it. Now I've listened to Wilson, Mark. I feel like I've I've put them a bit too low down the table. What, what do you what do you think is going to happen? I thought they were quite lucky to finish third last season. Um, if you look at their goal difference, and I had to check this because I, I wrote it down yesterday, and then thought I must have made a mistake. But it was plus fifteen, and it, it, City were plus sixty one, Arsenal plus forty five, Newcastle thirty five. Liverpool 28, like they won a lot of games narrowly and quite easily they could go um, the other way um, against you. Um, they only scored 58 goals and have they done enough in the short term? I mean, like, Hoyland looks like somebody that, you know, they're going to work with and see him as, as the future of the club. Is he kind of ready now to to take United up to the kind of goal figures that you would usually associate with a team finishing um, or, you know, if challenging for the title or even finishing in, in third spot. And I, I don't think that he is. I'm really excited by Garnacho. Every time I watch him, you know, he just brings life to um, the United team. They had injuries last season at the back with, um, you know, Varane and, and Martinez that maybe um, hampered them at times. But they, they feel like they've signed reasonably well, but I don't see them getting any better. Fifth for me, Barry. Sixth. Mark. Fourth. Wilson. Second. Newcastle United then uh, came fourth last year. They brought in Sandro Tonali, Harvey Barnes, Tino Livramento. Alisson Maximum's gone. Chris Wood has as well. Uh, they're into the Champions League for the first time since 2002-03. Mark, I feel like those signings are all good. And based on virtually nothing, I think they won't be as good this year. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I can see that, actually. I, well, I, I don't think it's based on nothing. It, yeah, yeah. In my opinion, it's the Champions League and how they're able to cope with with playing those extra matches because Premier League teams have tended to do you know reasonably well um, in, in European competition in recent years. So it's at least six matches. They'd be hoping for, you know, eight, ten, maybe even more. And I, I alluded to um, to it earlier on about just how difficult I think that the teams found it in the Champions League last season to, to play every week. It's not quite as packed the schedule, but I think it is a completely different dynamic when you haven't got that time on the training ground and you know the, the improvement that Eddie Howe has found in the team outside of the, the money that has been spent I still think is you know um, you know a, a, a superb job for, from him but then if you look at kind of the statistics in terms of how many of the same players played last season for them um, it, at least 10 players started 67% of their matches so it very rarely had to change the team. That back four picks itself, uh, you know, every, every week, and it's just whether they're able to cope with the the extra workload. And I, I think that there would be um, a doubt about that. And I think that they actually have got 
the potential to, to do well in the Champions League. So that might counteract against their, their league form. And when they did you know, lose a bit of focus on the Premier League last season, when they reached the um, Carabao Cup final, there was around that time um, some not great league performances, if I remember correctly. So, um, yeah, I, the, the kind of the extra fixtures might do for them. Bas? Yeah, Newcastle along with Brighton and Villa are the, their teams I think will have perfectly good seasons but possibly finish lower than they did or in the same spot as they did last season and I have Newcastle finishing a lot lower. As Mark says, Eddie Howe got an unbelievable amount of improvement out of players he inherited from Steve Bruce. I'm not sure how much more improvement he can get from them. Uh, the signings look pretty shrewd. Yes, Champions League is bound to take a toll, one imagines, but it must be very exciting for Newcastle fans to have the Champions League to look forward to, so I don't think they'll be overly concerned about finishing in the top four as long as they give that a good crack. And Newcastle fans will be a, a, um, the, the ones that still listen to us, which I presume isn't as many as a couple of years ago, but and I don't mean to bring it up just now, but a lot of people said, you know, Newcastle did a lot of time wasting, a lot of game management after Eddie Howe went to Atleti and had a look at them and, and what they did. Do you think these new rules will have any difference on Newcastle or anyone else of those teams that sort of shit house perhaps more than the others? Because every team does it. I mean, if it does have a, if it does make a difference, you would imagine Newcastle will be the ones who who suffer from it because I think if you look at the stats last season, Leeds had the lowest ball in play stats, uh, Newcastle second least. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, I mean, there's, there's a couple of the new regulations come in seem pretty pointedly directed at Newcastle. So partly that one, but also the not allowed to have Jason Tindall standing at the edge of a technical area next to Eddie Howe rule. <laughs> um, which I, I think they've written in slightly more general terms than that, but that's clearly what it means. Uh, yeah, and we'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I'd be interested as well to see just how, just how brave referees are uh, in terms of applying that. You know, if, if, if Newcastle are 1-0 up at home against Manchester City, say, in front of a, a packed and noisy St. James's, is the ref really going to play 18 minutes of injury time having sent Jason Tintle off? I, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe they will, but, but you, yeah, I, I, I wonder about that. But I, I think the bigger issue is, is the Champions League, not just the, the extra workload, um, but the fact that when you're a, a fan base and a group of players who aren't used to that magnitude of game, because Newcastle will be a, a pot four side, so they're going to get a difficult draw. They're going to get you know, a, a, a champion of one of the top eight leagues, um, and then they're going to get a, you know, a, a, a pot two team, which could be Real Madrid, or it could be you know, uh, Inter. Um, so say, you know, say you've got two games in a fortnight where you're at home to, home to Barcelona, away to Inter, and in the middle of that, you've got to go to Burnley or got to go to Luton. I think to pick yourself up for that game becomes quite difficult, and that's that's natural. So I, I, I think, um, yeah, those extra fixtures will make a difference, and possibly they haven't quite added sufficient numbers to the squad. I mean, Livermento, I think, is an interesting signing. Of Newcastle's best player, I think, last season was was Trippier. So why have they brought in another right back? I know Trippier can play on the left, and maybe that's the plan that Dan Byrne drops out and Trippier moves to the left. But that that's that's a signing in an area where I think they they weren't obviously short. And whether Barnes and Tonali are enough to, to give them the extra legs, I, I doubt. Because I think there will be a regression in the league. But, yeah, they've got the Champions League. And, and after, uh, you know, two decades or nearly two decades without that, that's that's very exciting. That's that's great for them. 
I have them eighth. Barry. Same. Mark. I've gone seven, but I think they're going to give the cups a really good go as well. So maybe there's a cup there for them. Wilson. Uh, fifth. Nottingham Forest came 16th last year. Um, they haven't bought 48 players this summer, which is disappointing. Um, but they have bought Anthony Alanga. Uh, Chris Woods confirmed his move. Uh, Matt Turner in goal. Uh, Lingard's gone as a Sam Surridge, who's gone to Nashville, where I walked down a street and saw a dead cat once. Jim says, after signing too many players, have Forest not strengthened enough for this season? Uh, Barry? Not necessarily. I mean... Harry Tufflow as well, left back, is looking at a very long ban. Betting offences, the Ivan Tony style, so one has to presume he'll be missing for several months. And Omar Richards, who's his replacement, they signed him last summer and he hasn't played for them yet because he spent all last season suffering from a variety of injuries. I think a broken shin bone followed by a hernia followed by something else. Sounds like a game of operation, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, anyone, anyone who goes near him on the pitch when he eventually <laughs> makes it out will start to buzz. So, yeah, but they have a decent squad. Their away form, obviously, is something that has to be rectified because last season, 20 away games in the league, they won one, drew five and lost 14. That's just simply not good enough. Uh, and it's a weird anomaly. Like, why are they so bad at all away? Sorry, Barrett, that's 20 games. They only, you only play 19 away games. Was one of them a cup game, maybe? I enjoyed looking at Mark's maths face. <laughs> it's <was> really good. <laughs> well, well, while on the subject of mistakes, Newcastle can't draw both Inter and Real Madrid. So let's say Bayern and Real Madrid. Fine, fine. Any other mistakes yeah. we've made so far? I don't know. Just... <laughs> oh, plenty. <laughs> <laughs> okay, they lost a lot of away games, I see. They did, yeah, that's the level we're looking for, Baz. Don't get above your station. Don't don't shower us with facts, Barry. Just some gen- just generalised nonsense. That's what we want from you. Know your place. Uh, yeah, okay, I'm going to say 13 or 14 away games last season they lost in the league. That just isn't acceptable, and it's weird. And if you look at their opening run of fixtures in their first six... Now I'm, I'm I've lost all confidence in myself now. In the first six games, they have to play Arsenal away, Manchester United away, Chelsea away, and Man City away. Oh. That's a tough. That's tough. Oh, that is so. Um, yeah, particularly with an away record as bad as ours. So they could could find themselves in a bit of bother very early in the season. They're being trolled by the fixture computer. Uh, Mark Forrest thoughts. Yeah, I, I, Steve Cooper nearly lost his job didn't he, a couple of times last season. And there was even some reports that Lopetegui um, was one of those that was being lined up really early on um, to, to move into the um, you know, potential city ground vacancy. Um, I mean, he's available now, which Steve Cooper might not be too excited uh, about. I, you know, I really like Gibbs White and, and Johnson. Like sort of most people, they feel like they're the key to sort of Forrest's success. But once they actually got a settled team, I felt like there were three worst teams in them in the Premier League last season. They deserved um, to stay up. I was just looking at some stats around a one year and they uh, Forrest won 42% of the games he started um, and only 15% of those that he didn't. So felt like a key man up front um, and, and sort of scored the goals for them late on in the season that kept them up. I think they'll be about the same as, as last year, which might just be enough to stay up again. Wilson? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if anybody's noticed, but their away form last season was terrible. They only won one, drew five, and lost 13 of the, of the 19 <laughs> games. 
Um, <laughs> Harry's right. That clearly is an issue. Um, but yeah, I, I, I saw them against Arsenal at home. They, they were really impressive. The atmosphere there was really good. And I, I think the two periods of last season when they weren't good was after they'd made a load of signings. So we can't really criticise them now of having been quite restrained in those signings. I think they've got got the squad they, they pretty much want. Uh, I think the Langer's move is an interesting one. Um, that suggests to me that United have quite a lot of faith in Amadjalo, which, I mean, he got 13 goals for Sunderland last season and was clearly Sunderland's best player by quite a distance. Got an amazing left foot. I fear for, for Jallo slightly physically in the Premier League. He's, you know, he's not a big lad and he, you know, he's injured at the moment. Um, but Alango, I think, is a, is a decent player and a good signing for Forrest. So I, I don't really have concerns about their squad. And when they were settled last season, they looked really good. So I, I, I think they could be relatively comfortably safe this season. 14th for me, Wilson. Uh, 12th. Mark? 16th. Barry? 16th. Uh, Sheffield United came second in the championship last year. They brought in Austin Trusty, Benny Traore and Anis Slimani. Uh, Ilinum Dai, um, one of their best players has gone to Marseille. Uh, Sander Berg's on his way to Burnley. Grant says, what on earth is Sheffield United doing? Stephen says, can the panel think of another team who've been promoted and will start the season significantly weaker? And Dian Berg are sold. Doyle and McAtee returning to Man City. Billy Sharp even being let go, leaving us with two academy kids up top to start the season. Um, Mark, it doesn't look promising at this stage. No, um, uh, the supporter there has um, just <laughs> outlined all of the issues. I mean, presumably they will spend some of that money. I know there have sort of been some concerns over um, sort of finances at Bramall Lane, but, you know, you would need to replace that type of quality. And they, you know, been linked with someone like Hamer from, from Coventry that would be, uh, you know, a, a, the kind of signing that you know, they, they should be looking at, Sheffield United. But um, at the moment, as we look at their team now, it is worse than the one that came up. And, you know, whether they are just thinking, well, we'll take the Premier League money, um, you know, because even if we spend 40, 50 million, we'll probably go down anyway. So we might as well not bother and, you know, we'll, we'll be stronger for it in the long run. I mean, that would be um, not, not a great way um, to run the club. But I think Ndai particularly is going to be a massive loss. Um, you know, he double figures in terms of goals and assists last season. Um, in terms of take-ons, I think only Jao Pedro, who moved to Brighton, was better than him in the championship. And I think he's going to be a big player for them. So, yeah, I I, I just think that Sheffield United, um, looking at their, their squad as it stands at the moment, it, I'm not sure that they'd do that great in the championship, um, never mind the Premier League. I have them 18th, Barry. Yeah, the, the listener who sent in the email basically outlined everything that needs to be said about Sheffield United. I have them rock bottom, 20th. Uh, Wilson? Yeah, 20th. Mark? Yeah, 20th. All right, um, that'll do for part two. Uh, Part three will begin with Tottenham Hotspur. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Hey, Jonathan, tell us about your brand new column, Wilson on Soccer. Well, it's a newsletter. I don't, I'm not entirely clear how it differs from a column other than it gets emailed to you rather than you having to actually look for it. All right. But yeah, um, it's it's about European football. It's aimed at the US audience, but it's free for everybody. I'm a, I'm a very broad church um, and you can sign up to it on the Guardian website and it's totally free. Uh, the first one's out today and then it, it should be in your inbox 
I don't know what time, but on a Monday, I, I get confused with time zones. I think it's designed to arrive early morning US time on a Monday, which would be lunchtime-ish UK time. Uh, it'll be tremendous. I did ask you before the pod if you had to be American, to which the question was, was do you have to be American to read it? But you thought I meant, do you have to be American? As in, Wilson becomes rootin' tootin', rootin' tootin'. Well, to be fair, you, you, you said... <laughs> you said, do you have to be American? And <laughs> He took it literally. Well, I didn't know American Jonathan Wilson. Yeah, well, I think it definitely, it would be more the sort of... Uh, nerdy Woody Allen type of American than uh... yeah Phil Dukes of Hazard was my dream you're not that funny oh, Wilson yeah. now there's Woody Allen these days let's go back to the football uh, Spurs then eighth last season they brought in Madison um, Van der Den from Wolfsburg uh, Poro Kulisevsky have signed um, full time uh, they brought in a new keeper Vicario and uh, a centre forward Alejo Felis Harry Winks Lucas Moura have gone at this at the time of podcasting, Harry Kane is still there. Barca Jim, for you, Max, my mate Gamma Jack eighty four, who's a Spurs fan, is feeling something he's described as a horrible amount of hope after the sterling duplicitous amount of work you did to get Ange there. How are you feeling? Um, I mean, I am wildly optimistic. Basic based mark on thirty seconds of Spurs playing out from the back at the Camp Nou against a Barcelona team that was sort of trying, which ended up in one of our players being offside, I think. But for that. I have huge hopes. Yeah, you, you just paper over the four goals that were conceded in, in that game as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think Postecoglou has, up until this point, done everything right um, in terms of his communication to the supporters. Um, you know, the, the kind of Mourinho, Nuno, Conte um, hat trick, um, you know, I think had worn down most supporters and you know even the players because Romero said there'd been a complete breakdown um, in in sort of relationship with Conte um, that you know was pretty obvious for for everybody to see. I mean, this time last year, most people had Tottenham finishing in the top four. Um, you know, and I, I think even probably third. Um, you know, they, they were considered um, you know strong contenders for for the top four. It it went spectacularly wrong with Antonio Conte. He had personal issues to deal with. They had the Champions League, but his sort of frustration at being at Tottenham um, had clearly worn him down long before he had that um, sort of uh, rant at, at Southampton. But he was as much to blame, I think. And I, I, I can see the, the Spurs players really enjoy playing under um, Postacoglu. They need to improve defensively because they conceded 63 goals last season. I think there's a doubt over the goalkeeper, Vicario, just at the, the level he's coming to. I think Van der Ven looks like a, a, a better signing to play alongside Romero and Madison is really exciting. But I mean, a lot will depend on whether Harry Kane stays because you can't replace 30 goals very easily. What do you think happens, Wilson? I mean, is it ridiculous to predict? Like Harry Kane seems to have said, if it's not done by two o'clock on Sunday, then I'm staying. Yeah, which is a an odd, odd approach given how Daniel Levy tends to handle negotiations. It, you know, if he wants to leave, maybe, maybe he does just want clarity. And I, I think probably everybody at Tottenham just wants clarity. But the problem is, unless he actually signs a new contract, there will not be clarity until next summer. And I think for possibly, I don't know, I, I sort of flip-flop back and forth on this. I think in some ways it'd be better for Postecoglou to just be, be done with it, have Kane go on and, and sort of prepare for the future. 
and that maybe would lessen the pressure on him and lessen the expectation that you know a new manager coming in reshaping a squad that sort of fell apart pretty badly last year without Kane you probably will be forgiven a few poor performances and, few, and, and poor results. Whereas if Kane's there, people may still have hopes of top four, top six. But yeah, that, 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 that squad is is nowhere near as good as the stadium it'll be playing in. And um, it'll take a while to put that right, whether that's with or without Kane. Producer Joel wonders if Lee, Daniel Levy and Harry Kane have a 24-style countdown clock. Boo, <laughs> boo, boo, boo. What do you think's going to happen, Barry? I've got Tottenham second. Whoa! I actually thought you were going to end. <laughs> nah. It's very much in a kind of Arsenal came second and no one expected it. I, I love Postacoglu. I mean, I've obviously been brainwashed by Australians, right? I mean, I really, there's just no doubt about it. I love everything he does. I love how gruff he is. I love when the social media guy at Spurs sort of tries to tell a joke and Postacoglu's like, no, mate, no, this is serious business. And the players want to play under him. I reckon Kane might even be sitting there going, actually, God, this is really fun. I'm having fun. And that's a good thing. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's impossible to make a, a sensible prediction without knowing where Harry Kane is there or not. I think they'll concede a lot of goals. I think they'll probably score a lot of goals. I think they'll be very fun to watch. And I think, Spurs fans, for a while at least, will just be delighted to have a manager in place who wants to be there and isn't acting like he's doing them a big favour. So I, I think they will do considerably better than last season and I'm looking forward to seeing them play. Um, where do you have them finishing, Wilson? Uh, seventh. Mark? I've got a big season for Bissouma, sixth. Right, OK. Barry? Fifth. Fifth, OK. Am I completely stupid? I mean, it was based on, it's mainly based on emotion, that Mark, more than anything. You're a more sensible Spurs head than I am. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I think that there are high hopes for something like, you know, Doggy um, at left back and Madison, the player that they were absolutely screaming out for in midfield. So And no Europe, right? I mean, I just think that's really big. Yeah, yeah it is. Um, and, you know, if they do finish in, in the top four, I don't think it would be an amazing shot because they've got at the moment they've got Son, Kane and Kulisevsky up front which is pretty decent but you know it, it's asking a lot I think when for a new manager to come in and have that immediate impact I think um, you know maybe this is the first year in trying to turn around that negativity and that may be why some people think it's sensible to sell Kane and you'll be in a better position in the years to come I, my sort of as a Spurs fan I just think you know, just rather one more year of Kane and then think about it again sort of in 12 months' time. West Ham then came 14th uh, last year. Uh, Declan Rice has gone. Skamaka has gone. City want Paqueta. Um, they haven't brought anyone in yet, although Ward-Prowse and Harry Maguire are sort of probably doing some quad stretches in front of Stuart Pearce. Is he still there? Probably not. You know, whoever, some old person that David Moyes has near him. That's harsh on Stuart Pearce, isn't it? I like Stuart Pearce. But anyway... <laughs> Tosh McKinley. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, Barry, those signings will make a big difference, but doesn't things are not totally rosy at Upton Upton Park? <laughs> Where am I? At the London Stadium. Yeah, so they've got this German um data boffin, Tim Steiton in, and it seems that he and David Moyes don't see to eye to eye and are at war and if James Ward-Prowse, Harry Maguire and possibly Scott McTominay are coming in, that would suggest David Moyes is very much winning that war because I don't think they're the names that would have popped up on uh, Stuyton's laptop once he'd fed in all the numbers and, and pre- 
press press to return. Depends <laughs> uh, <laughs> what question you're asking, maybe Barry. <laughs> I don't think David Moyes will be West Ham manager at the end of the season. I don't think they'll have a good season. And I, if I was a West Ham fan, I like James Ward-Prowse. He will score goals from free kicks, almost certainly. I think much of the opprobrium that has been heaped upon Harry Maguire is very unfair. Uh, he he got booed during a friendly in Dublin last Sunday, I think. Irish Manchester United fans were very upset because they paid a load of money for tickets to go and watch Man U play. And Man U fielded a third string side. And it, it, I suppose it didn't show a great re- amount of respect for their Irish fans. So they were already in a bad mood and uh, Harry Maguire bore the brunt of that. But, yeah, I, I think they will struggle this season. And if City want Lucas Paqueta, City will almost certainly get him. I mean, I really want Maguire to have a great season. I think that would be, you know, I think a lot of people, are, neutrals are, are willing him well. They had such a great year, Wilson. I mean, winning a trophy is once in a generation thing for West Ham. They got the Europa League as well. And they don't look like they have a squad that can do both of those things. Um but are we just sort of, I don't know, it feels like, it feels really harsh to sort of sack David Moyes again when we tried to sack him last year and he won them a trophy. I mean, what, what's notable is that the players who've left, I mean, Rice aside, are, are foreign. Um, Skamaka was a, a part of that wave of, of signing some outside the, the British milieu who came in who, who didn't necessarily do that well, didn't respond that well to, to Moyes. If they do go back to McTominay, Maguire, it, it's um, Ward Price. Then that that is sort of reconstituting that British core, which was what had made them better the year before. So that makes some kind of sense, and, and that would make sacking Moyes ludicrous. Um, but the, the, the squad's not really big enough at the minute. They do need those players in until they come in. It's 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 very hard to to say. And you'd worry that they're doing it so. So late. I mean, why? Why is I, I never understand why clubs start the season without at least sort of three quarters of their acquisitions in place. It, it seems you know a dereliction to to leave it so long that they don't then have a pre-season with their manager. Uh, Mark, I'm putting them in seventeenth position. I'd be slightly more positive um, than that. Um, I'm gone fourteen. I did. I read <laughs> Jacob Steinberg's piece when Tim Steinton came in, and it, it said that the reason he's come in is because the. The, the club were frustrated over how long it was taking for transfers to go through 12 months ago. So um, <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure that that's helped um, in, in that regard. But I think eventually they'll sign enough players to stay up. Love the idea, Barry, of a stats buffing just going pace 81, turning 68, uh, distribution 99, return, bing! <laughs> just a big picture of Harry Maguire's face appears. <laughs> Where do you have them finishing, Barry? Uh, I'm sending them down in 19th place. Wilson? Uh, 15th, with Harry Maguire assuming signs to score at least eight goals from corners and free kicks. No, great. Uh, The new Craig Dawson. Um, uh, Wolves came 13th last year. Uh, Gary O'Neill is their manager as of yesterday. Cunha and Traore have signed permanently. Uh, Ruben Nevers has gone to take some pot shot volleys from outside the box uh, in Saudi Arabia. Uh, Nathan Collins has gone to Brentford. Connor Cody's gone to Leicester. Raul Jimenez has gone to Fulham. Uh, and Ryan Giles, we mentioned already. So they've lost quite a lot of experience there. Brendan says, should Wolves have held off sacking Lopetegui until next Tuesday so they could at least get a new manager bounce? Wilson. Yeah, I mean, it's not a good situation. Now. I mean, 
in some respects, I quite uh, admire what the owner's done in, in setting out why they've had to release all these players and sell all these players and explaining the, the, the potential FFP penalties. On the other hand, how did they not notice that when, when this was happening? How have they got themselves in this position where they've had to, to strip the squad apart to, to comply? Um, and that, that's a problem not of this summer, but if, if assuming that statement is true, and I, you know, I, I confess I find FFP quite hard to follow until somebody explains it to me, how have they allowed the situation to build up? So, Lopetegui, it, it seems like that discontent has, has been rumbling on for a while and they've been in talks for a while about him leaving. I thought he did a really, really good job there last season. Um, and so I, I think I'd have had them comfortably mid-table had he still been there and had they not lost uh, so seven sort of highest-level players with... I mean, Diego Costa, I guess you don't really put in that, but, but Traore and Michinho as well. Um, and the only player, that I, the only new player they've actually signed this summer is uh, Matt Doherty, who obviously has been there before. So, yeah, I, I, I fear for them a bit. I, Gary O'Neill is interesting as well. He did so well at Bournemouth in, in, in similar situ- similar situation that he came into a, a club that everybody expected to, to go down, uh, whose previous manager had said they weren't good enough to stay up and, and he, he worked miracles. So um be a, be a big test of him. Although I suspect he probably doesn't want to get typecast as the, the sort of Red Adair figure. I'm relegating them in 19th, Barry. Uh, I have them in 15th. It's worth noting, by the way, that they were signed Sasa Kalajic last season and he almost immediately did his knee. So I think they only got 30 minutes out of him. So he's he's fit again, I presume. Uh, and goals for them was a big problem last season. So if he can score a few... That might help. And he's a big man, isn't he? He is a big guy. He is a very, very big man, yes. Six foot seven, I think. Uh, he's six foot seven. Oh, more of those centre forwards in the Premier League, please. Um, Mark, where have you got them? Yeah, I, they were a relegation team before Lopetegui went in. They were, you know, they were in the bottom three. I think he was the reason they stayed up. With him gone, I think they'll finish in the bottom three. I've got 18. Wilson, have I asked yours? Uh, you haven't. Uh, 17th, just surviving. Okay. Um, oh well, well done. So, um, your top your top five, Wilson, are uh, City, United, Liverpool, Arsenal, Newcastle. Mark City, Arsenal, Liverpool, United, Chelsea. Barry Arsenal, City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Spurs. All right. Okay. Um, and your bottom threes, Wilson Fulham, Luton, Sheffield United. Oh, Fulham. Wow. Uh, Mark I've got Fulham seventeenth actually. Yeah. Wolves eighteen, Luton nineteen, Sheffield United twenty. And Baz? Everton 18, West Ham 19, Sheffield United 20. Uh, Sheffield United, Wolves, Luton go down for me. Somehow Fulham a 10th. Uh, City, Spurs, Arsenal, Liverpool, Manchester United, my top five. Barry, did your tree get knocked down or is it still there? It, it's still there. Now, the problem was that the, the roots were so big that they caused the, the pavement to mm. bulge. Yes. So they've drilled out all the, the tarmac from the pavement around the roots, somehow flattened them, and then re-tarmacked so it's now perfectly smooth. And I have no idea how the tree is mm. going to survive that. But there will be a tree surgeon listening if you could explain what I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping uh they knew what they were doing, although I suspect they didn't. And if you flatten the roots, uh, do you know what type of tree it is? That's a very good question. I, I actually don't. And I've it's been I've been staring at it for uh about 16 years now. <laughs> Just let me go and have a look. I think I think you, there's a Shazam for trees, isn't there? You can point at your phone at it. I've, I've, I have it on my phone. Hang on, what's it called? Uh, 
Uh, also, the one I've got is free. It's amazing. It, it, if, if a plant is ailing, it will tell you. It's called Plant Parent. It, plant Parent, Barry. Get on Plant Parent. You can tell us on Monday. Um, right. I'm, I'm going to say Sycamore. But, okay, uh, right. That's nice. Tell us, has Mark tried buffalo cauliflower? Could be his way in. What news, Mark, of your diet? <laughs> I, I definitely haven't tried um, buffalo cauliflower, um, but I am... Um, I'm onto the intermittent fasting, uh, Max, that's sort of becoming all the rage um, these days. I'm, I'm trying to, to move into that. So um, only eat for eight hours a day. Um, it does say... <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds quite a lot. I'm not sure that's how you're meant to do well, it. That, that, that's, that was, <laughs> there, there, gnawing at the gazelle carcass from midday to 8 p.m. It, 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 I do go from 12 to 8. That is... Um, that, that, that's the buying, Max. That's the way they hook you in. There's then like a little asterisk that says, you know, as part of a balanced diet that I didn't read at the first um, bit. But yeah, I've been trying. Um, had my first banana um, the, the other week. So, um, <laughs> Your wasn't, first ever banana? Wasn't the most enjoyable experience, but I managed to get through it. Um, so, so yeah, on, onwards and upwards. How, how did you, in what, what form did you consume it? Just, just, just neat? Uh, it, it was, it was neat. Uh, it was done. I, I feel like I needed gloves. Such was the texture. I really did. Did you, did you peel I, it? I did, did you peel yeah, it? Yeah, I did first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I didn't go skin first. Um, yeah, like, I, I peeled it. Um, and it took me about 25 minutes to eat. Such was the, um, the amount of chewing I was doing to get through it. But it was mind over matter. I got there in the end. 25 minutes to eat a banana. Is that, <laughs> yeah, was, is that every... No, it was, it was on the long walk from, from my office to the to the, the, the uh, train station. I was just like, each small mouthful, bit by bit. Well, hang on, how many how many calories in a banana? Let me look that up. Oh, uh, yeah, it, it, I mean, well, fruit tends to be quite high in calories, isn't it? But, it's, um, hang on, it's, a, it's, it's 89 calories. It takes 25 <laughs> minutes to, to eat it. So that means that... Uh, it, it, I think it, it means you, you probably could... <laughs> At that pace, eat bananas solidly for the full eight hours and still be in a significant calorie deficit. And walking. That's near, that's near enough. Let's, let's call it 200 calories an hour. So that's only 1,600 calories over the eight-hour period. Um, I, I, I know what males need. Is it 2,400? 1,800, 2,400? Yeah. I mean, Wilson, it's, it's, no, it's no way to live, is it? On a treadmill eating bananas until you die. 1800. It's just no, this really seems, well, look, seems a waste it's, it's, of this great opportunity we have of existence. I, I feel that's pretty much where I've lived the last 20 years. I mean, sometimes on the open road, not just a treadmill, but... but feels like a good place to finish it. There's some, some exciting uh, news of uh, your Nicky Campbell anecdote from last season, Barry, but we'll save that for uh, the first Premier weekend of the Premier League season, um, which we are doing on Sunday night. Um, and it'll be out early Monday but for the time being thank you Wilson cheers thank you thanks Mark thank you Max thanks Barry thank you we'll be back Monday morning Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove our executive producer is Daniel Stevens. this is The Guardian <laughs> 